You're listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 114 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. Deceased estates. What is it and how is it taxed? Michael McCarthy is the senior tax specialist at Tax and Super Australia and so often appears on Tax and Super's own podcast called Tax Rep, which, by the way, is a really good podcast. I highly recommend. I've listened to every single episode. Michael is in charge of Tax and Super Australia's helpline service and so often answers queries around deceased estates. So perfect to tell you more. I started by asking Michael, what is part of an estate? What goes into an estate and what doesn't? Here's Michael with the answer. But first, a short disclaimer. Our discussion is general in nature and is not tax advice. No person should act on the basis of any points raised in this discussion without first obtaining and following the advice of a suitably qualified professional advisor. Tax and Super Australia, as well as the participants in this discussion, will not be liable for any loss or damage sustained as a result of relying on the information provided. With a deceased estate, as you've said, there's going to be assets that they don't form part of the estate. Now, I've brought some information in, and one of the bits of information that we're going to get to maybe a little bit later, and it's Practical Compliance Guideline from the Tax Office 2018-4, deals with the liability of legal personal representatives, or executors will say, a deceased person. Now, in that guidance, it actually finishes and says that certain assets aren't part of the estate. Now, if I look down at para 33 of the guidance, and I'll read this out because this is relevant to what you're saying, not all assets that a person owned when they died will form part of their deceased estate. Most significantly, assets which they owned as a joint tenant will pass by survivorship to the surviving joint tenants and superannuation benefits may be paid directly to a dependent. So they're not assets that form part of the estates. They're not also not assets that the tax man can come knocking on the door of the executor to say, get some of these funds back from those assets if you haven't paid your tax and done everything for deceased or the deceased estates. So they are separate. Shall we take one poor person? Shall we call him Peter or Bob? Bob, Bob. So Bob is happy and alive and files his tax returns as usual and then something happened and Bob is no more. If Bob has an SMSF, That doesn't go into the estate. He has a main residence jointly held with his wife. That doesn't go into the estate. He has joint bank accounts. That doesn't go into the estate. He has joint share portfolios. That doesn't go into the estate. But he does have, just for our example, so that we have something in the estate and can continue talking because otherwise the conversation is finished now. Let's say he has a large term deposit in his own name. Yes. And let's say he owns a company that he owns alone and that he's the 100% shareholder. So that means we have two assets in the estate. So they are. And just on the, when you mentioned earlier on superannuation now, that may, won't go into it in too much detail, but that may find its way into the estate if there's no dependents and 
probably that's a separate... Yes, uh, no, but it's a very good point. Yeah, so this example we've got is we have a term deposit and shares. So, yes, we've got an estate. So uh, we've got assets that form the estate. So we're going to have an executor that's going to have administer have, that estate. And we have an executor because Bob left a will. Good point, yes. Yeah, so if he's left a will... Because if he didn't leave a will, then we would have an administrator. If he didn't, yeah, and then you're going, your solicitor will probably guide you then through the different formulas that apply for people that pass away without a will. Yes. So, but in this case, yes, he's got, we'll say, Bill's the executor. Uh, so he's got a few duties to do to get everything up to date and finalised as far as Bob's tax affairs, administering the will, so in accordance what Bob's wishes were, and ensuring everything's up to date and all liabilities are paid and the remainder is attended to, paid to the beneficiaries or trust may be set up within the the will, which is separate again. So, yeah, so Bob's got a bit of, bit of work to do. Bill. 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 <laughs> Bob, is, Bob, Bob is happy with the daisies. Bob, Bob, Bob's passed away. Bill's got the work to do. Yes. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's right, yes. So then where does uh, where does Bill go? Well, he might lead us to a tax ruling, which is not a bad guide. Yes. So that's IT 2622. And that's title income tax present entitlement during the stages of administration of deceased estates. But it gives a bit of a guide on the period of administration of an estate. So it talks about like date of death that triggers it then the stages of the administrations, period of administration. So I've got the date of death, the stages then of administration, the burial. So he's got to attend to organising that. Probate's got to be applied for. And then that means that Bill can then go ahead and administer the estate in accordance with the will. The probate is just that, yes, the will names Bill as the executor, but Bill doesn't become the executor until the court actually gives him the probate. Yes, yes. So at that point then he's got the authority to act and then go from there and then administer the will. And then at that point when it's probate's granted, then the assets then vest in bill. So he attends to paying the debts and different expenses that arise, burial costs, things like that. And then they talk about the three stages of the administering the estate and it's the initial stage. And that's where the income's used to reduce the debt, so you're tidying everything up. The intermediate stage, and that's where part of the net income of the estate that isn't required to pay the debts, that sometimes it can be paid to beneficiaries. So even though the estate hasn't been fully administered, the executor then might say, oh, look, there's plenty of funds there. We know what the liabilities are or provisions for liabilities, and we're satisfied we can pay amounts out to the beneficiaries. Then there's the final stage, and that's where everything's provided, debt's provided, and really it's probably like saying Bill's done everything he has to do in accordance with the will. And then from that point, the estate is, I suppose, fully administered. And at that point, the proceeds may be paid out to the beneficiaries in accordance with the will, or really depends what the will says, or the will might say trust is to be set up. And then that instruction might have Bill as the trustee of that estate. So mm. he might have more work to do. And you mentioning a trust, 
it might mean another trust is set up because the estate in itself is already a trust. Yes, yes, so the estate is a trust. And then if, in accordance with the will, there's to be a testamentary, and look, an estate's a testamentary trust as well, I suppose. So, but the instruction might be to set up a trust for a children, disabled, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, that's a separate trust again. So Bill's probably gone along and applied for his tax file number for the deceased estate and completed tax returns for the deceased estate. But then if the funds or assets get passed to a testamentary trust, then Bill's got to reapply for another tax file number, so it's a separate trust. I see. And if in this case Bob had a testamentary trust in his will, then nothing would go into the deceased estate. Everything would go into the testamentary trust, if that's what the will said, of course. It would pass through to the... And in that case, do you still have to lodge a tax return for the deceased estate, even though there's nothing in the deceased estate? That's a good question. Do you even have to get a tax file number for the deceased estate if everything goes into the testamentary trust? And that is a good question because sometimes there's a lot of administration to do with no real result. Yeah. And I, I know years ago it was like you had to do an estate tax return if there's $1 or more of income. And that was a bit of a pain because you would have, they have a, like a three-year rule where the deceased estate's taxed in accordance with the tax rates for individuals, which is, so you've got a tax-free threshold. Yes. So eventually it was nearly like applying, doing a tax return, applying for the commissioner to apply his discretion for this Section 99 to apply. And, and if it did and the income was under a, the tax-free threshold, there would be no tax to pay. So there's a lot of paperwork for and no And have they simplified that now? And, they, and they, they have. Yeah, there's a, there is a, a fact sheet. So this is a tax office fact sheet. And there's a QC, so the search, if you're, if you're looking for it, QC 23846. And that gives some pretty good guidance for somebody like Bill to go to and say, checklist and things like that, say, look, what have I got to do with all this? And it may be that depending on the case, it's a, a modest estate with few assets or few dollars of bank interest or something like that, or he may not have to worry about lodging tax returns and doing tax file numbers. There's good guidance from the tax office on this, and it's I think it came out just the last few years that has probably helped the cause simplified matters. Just flicking to a section that gives us guidance. Sometimes you could have an estate where you might complete the administration in the same year as the date of death. So it's quite simple. And if you complete the administration and cease the state in the same income year as the date of death, you don't then need to lodge a tax return, but you've just got to ensure a few things apply. And what they are is that no beneficiary is presently entitled to any of the estate's income. Now, if there is no income, well, there's nobody entitled to anything, so so that's ticked off. And then the taxable income of the estate has to be below the tax-free threshold for individuals, so that's below 18200 So in those situations, and it's all pretty pure and simple in the one year, you wouldn't have to do a tax return. If we say Bob has a testamentary trust and both assets go into the testamentary trust, then we don't need to do anything about the deceased estate because the deceased estate is empty. When you look at this IT2622, what what does say is like, and, and that's a good point, is like once the estate's earned a dollar of income or more, somebody's going to get that. 
So what it says, though, in that IT is that the tax office accept for the last income year of a deceased estate to have their income split. They'll let you split the financial year into the income earned before administration's complete and after. And before the administration's complete, the income is taxed to the trustee, which means there's no beneficiary presently entitled at that point. So I think that gets around this, what we just read there, that if no beneficiary is presently entitled, if you split the year of income up into pre-administration, then the trustee's assessed. And if the trustee was assessed, he's got that 18,200 threshold. So there is no tax. And then the period after the beneficiaries assessed, but all the income may have been earned up to administration. So I think is a technicality, even though the fact sheet sort of simply says no beneficiary presently entitled. If you work through it and go through the IT 2622, it's probably the argument to say, well, prior to administration being completed. Yeah. Yes, yes, there was income. Mm. It was less than the 18,200, so no beneficiary presently entitled. Tax rate for the trustee at section 99. Yes. Zero <laughs> uh, for the first three years yes. of an estate sale. Bob could have a testamentary trust and in that case the deceased estate would be empty and would have no income and we don't need to worry about the deceased estate. But let's assume we don't have a testamentary trust and so everything is in the deceased estate. Yeah, because being in a, if it's in a testamentary trust from the outset, you still got a deceased estate. Yeah, but the deceased estate is empty. Yeah, so it's got it's got might have let's say it's got a hundred thousand dollars on term deposit or whatever, and that's to go to a testamentary trust. But doesn't the testamentary trust come into effect with the death of the deceased? Or no, does it come no, into the, effect? Does the executor have to the set executor, it up? The executor applies for probate is given authority to get that term deposit, put it in his name as executor for the deceased estate, and that term deposit of 100000 might be 103000 with interest. And so all the money's in. Now, what's happening to that money? The will might say it goes to Bob's kids. The will might say it goes to a testamentary trust for Bob's kids. So the 100 that was with Bob at date of death might have been 103000 once he's got probate granted and everything, so 103, and then that 103, we've called everything in, what are we going to do with it? Oh, so I you're see. still going to have a... So in your yeah. experience, when a testamentary trust comes in, you still very often have income in the deceased estate because the testamentary trust doesn't come in straight away. There's yeah, always yeah. a little bit of an administration period until That's the trust is set up and until the funds are transferred. And so the estate tends yeah. to end up with a little bit of income. Yeah, and look, sometimes they'll say when you read all this, is like they'll have a deceased estate, a testamentary trust, maybe a different trustee. A will might have, Bob's died, he's going to leave half to his kids, half to child number four because they're disabled or whatever. And... Jack will be trustee of that trust, or it might be Bill as trustee of that trust, but mm. it's separate again. So to my understanding, yes. and I know this gets into legals that I'm not... It's, it's good advice. It means even when we have a testamentary trust, we usually still have to deal with the estate, with the deceased yeah. estate. Yeah. 
Bob doesn't have a testamentary trust. Yeah. So everything goes into the deceased estate and stays in the deceased estate until it's distributed. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, and then if there was a testamentary trust, well, that's fine. That's just like distributing to... To another beneficiary. Yeah, it's like individual one, individual two, testamentary trust one, testament. Yeah, so... That's a good point. What then happens is that there's a date of death tax return to be done. Bill Byrne, the executor, is responsible for that, so he's got to tend to the final tax return for Bob and really go back and ensure that all his tax obligations have been met in the past as well. So that's a job for him to do. The income in the final tax return will be from the 1st of July to date of death. So any income up to that period will go in the final tax return. Just a couple of, well, maybe little snippets is that tax agent fees, there's something that can be claimed in the final tax return. Normally they're claimed the following year when it's ongoing, but if there are tax agent fees for doing the final tax return, they're incurred obviously afterwards, or but they can be claimed in that final return. So that's probably one little difference there in the timing of claiming tax agent fees. The other thing is sometimes it depends on a, a will, and we've got a simple situation here. Sometimes if you've got, let's say, non-residents, um, sometimes a will might allow for assets to go to not only non-residents, it's like tax-exempt entities. People leave legacies to churches, charities. It goes to superannuation funds, and I'm mentioning these, they're sort of concessionally or differently taxed to the normal residents. So there is just something to watch out for if that does arise, and that's a capital gains tax event. K3. So that's basically saying that if the beneficiaries do include those types of entities to ensure, I suppose, the taxes caught on those, what ends up happening is a capital gains event is triggered at date of death. So any capital gains to be calculated are included in the final tax return. Usually, Bob's death wouldn't trigger capital gains tax. No. But when an asset basically leaves the CGT regime because yeah. it goes to an exempt entity, then the capital gains tax is triggered straight away. Yes, yeah, so that's just something to be Do, careful of. Does it also apply when it goes to a super fund? I wasn't aware. I knew about K3 for charities, but I didn't know about K3 for super funds. Yeah, it mentions, the ones it mentions here, non-residents, or tax advantage entities, which means it's a tax exempt entity, so churches, charities, or the trustee of either a complying super fund, a complying proved deposit fund, or a pooled superannuation. If Bob had a son who was living in New York, then that could also trigger K3. Yes, yes, yes. So with that, if we're talking about non-resident beneficiaries, then if the asset passes under will to the non-resident beneficiary, then there's a capital gain or capital loss, depending on how it works out, and it goes in the deceased person's tax return, final tax return, date of death. Now, the conditions for that of the deceased person was an Australian resident themselves when they died, and the asset's not taxable Australian property in the hands of the beneficiary. 
Yes, because if it was taxable Australian property, then we don't need K3 because it stays in the CGT regime. But if it's not taxable Australian property, it means it leaves when it goes to a foreign resident or when it goes to a charity. Hence, we need to tax it now. We need to tax it now. So I end up saying that just before the taxpayer dies, the capital gains tax events, the market value at the date of death, and if that exceeds the cost base of the deceased, then there's a capital gains tax amount. And if it's less, there's a capital loss. And the only other thing to note there too, if it's a pre-September 85 asset, then we don't need to worry there's, about there's no problems there. Yep. So it's very important when drafting your will to look into the tax consequences when somebody wants to leave property or CGT assets to charities or a super fund or a foreign resident or a pooled super fund. Yes, yes, yeah, to ensure they've kept in mind this CGT event K3. Is there a timing on how quickly the estate has to be wound up? Executors got to act in the interest of the beneficiaries. The, the beneficiaries. And probably from a tax point of view, there is a, a three-year time limit where the concessional section 99 tax rates can apply, the general individual tax rates. So there's a different, not necessarily top marginal. Section 99, resident individual rates for up to the first three years, but then after that they default to... Oh, I see. So they don't default to 99A? Not, no, not necessarily. There's a different table that deals with deceased estates more than three years, and they go through a range of like zero to 416 of taxable income. As 417 to 670, there's 50% of excess over 416 is... I see. So, uh, yeah. so, so deceased estates that go over three years basically have their own tax table. They've got a tax table. But yeah, so reading tables, tax tables on deceased estates after three years. And generally, once you get over $670 of income, the whole lot's taxed at 19% up to 37000 And then you have staggered rates again, 37 to 90000 is 32.5 cents in the dollar, 90 to 180000 that excess is taxed at 37 cents in the dollar. Yes, and then 45 over 180,000, which is like yes. the normal individual yeah. tax rates. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so that's interesting. I didn't know that after three years, a separate tax table applies. I assumed it, it would revert back to yeah. 1998. I, I think it was like in the, in the past, it was like when you did a deceased estate tax return, you'd request the commissioner's discretion to have... Section 99 apply for the first three years under the resident individual rate. You'd request it. And, and now you don't have to request no. anymore. It's automatic. Well, yeah, and these days too, I suppose, in the tax returns, you have labels that you fill the label in or the code and it hmm. defaults to that relevant okay. tax rate. You might have, is, is this a mistake for somebody that's passed away more than three years or less than three years? Yes. So. so have you seen a lot of estates that go over three years? Or is it fairly common for a state? 
I can imagine it's very common for estates to take less than three years because the beneficiary... Yeah, there may be situations where beneficiary is under a legal disability and... Uh, yeah, or where the beneficiaries are fighting with each other and so the ex- executor can't pay it out because it's not clear yet yes, what those, the will is actually saying. Yes, there might be sort of circumstances outside of executor's control that, that keep going, so... Yeah, the other thing I just did want to mention too is the Medicare levy, just when we were mentioning those rates, because there is no 2% Medi levy if it's a deceased estate, but if it's then a testamentary trust and it goes on, then there can be the the Medicare levy applied to that. Yes, to the beneficiaries. And to the trustee, if in a testamentary trustee, subject to tax. So it depends on... So deceased estate is not subject to the 2% Medicare levy? No, no. Okay. No, so with a testamentary trust, it's still like that trust may continue on and on. It still may be the trustee that's subject to tax. So what's an example? An example might be the... They didn't make a distribution. Yeah, no distribution or they did and there's 20,000 of income and 10,000 was required for the beneficiary or that beneficiary is entitled to that 10,000 that they've been paid and the 10,000 that wasn't retained by the trustee of the testamentary trust. So they'll have their Medicare levy and their separate rates and the beneficiary will pay tax on the amount they're entitled to. Payment is important for deceased estates in the fact that sometimes when you then say talking about something separate, say discretionary trust that's like the trustee at the end of the financial year may say the beneficiaries are entitled to a distribution but they haven't received the money whilst the estate's been administered like if it comes 30th of june and up till that point the beneficiary hadn't received any funds well they're not Mm. taxed on them executor's not going to say 30th of june now we'll do a minute that yes it's different so Yes. yes so then if the executor pays those funds in july that's the next financial year. Yeah. Well, yes, the beneficiaries taxed on those funds in the next financial year. Yeah. Like in a discretionary trust, all distributions are either income or capital. In a deceased estate, most of the distribution would be capital as such. Well, I suppose it depends on what income was derived by the yes. deceased estate up to that point. Let's say Bob had a term deposit of $1 million and while it's in the deceased estate, it earned $10,000 of interest income, when the trustee distributes this entire $1 million and $10,000, the $1 million goes tax-free to the beneficiary, but the $10,000, of course, was taxed in the estate. Yes. And yes, now, already taxed. Yeah, yes. and then the beneficiary would yes. pay tax on any further interest income that's earned yes. after they received the money. Yes, yes, yes. He's acting in the best interest of the beneficiaries and doing his job and sometimes doing your job can take the time it takes. And he's not doing it to manipulate any tax outcome. He's just doing his job. If there's excess income that he feels he can distribute before administration is complete, he'll distribute. So once the administration is complete, I think then the thing to look at, and again I'm referring to this IT 2622, is that the executor in that last year can split the income between the period up to the administration 
being completed and the period after, and the executor will pay tax on any income. And that can be very advantageous because if it goes to a beneficiary who has no income in that year, you basically get two tax-free thresholds. There is, yes. So it depends on how it does work out. The one thing is, is it's not done on a pro rata income on a time basis. It's actual. So if the split is 31st of March, all the income pre 31st of March is the executor can opt for the income to be taxed to the trustee himself and then after that date, and there may be no other income because everything's been done and called up and it's all in a bank account ready to distribute to the beneficiary. So it's not done where you're calculating how many days and if the income all fell within the first week of the financial year, that means it's in that pre-administration period. So, Yes, because when we're talking cash, the money usually gets transferred from one bank account to another. So it's easy to work out where the interest was earned. Yes, yes, yes. That might be on one specific date. A term deposit fell due on the 28th of February and that was the last course of action the executive had to do to do everything to call all the funds in. So on the 28th of February, now all the funds are, are there for the beneficiaries to call on. And then at yes. that point they And then it. he transfers, he makes a bank transfer. and To the beneficiaries, yeah, but the income was earned before yes. that. Yeah. So that's in the period yeah. that, uh, that if they opted, there is some, just with that, there must be evidence kept by the, the, the trustee of apportioning those periods and it's got to be requested by all the taxpayers concerned in that situation yes. as well. Yes. So. And with the bank accounts, it's easy to track. It's clear where the money is. It, it might is. be more complicated with a real estate that earns rent, for example, then yes. it might be more complicated. Yes, mm. We made it very easy to start with because we only did a term deposit. But now looking at CGT. Different ways of doing it. Like if it's a main residence before the deceased dies, then the executor will be attributed a market value cost base. If it's a pre-85 asset, September 85, the executor will be attributed a market value cost base. And if it's post 85, then the executor will take on the cost base or reduced cost base of the deceased. That's interesting because it means in a few years, no pre-CGT assets will remain. Yes, yeah. Well, once yeah, people are passing away with their pre-CGT assets, they will all revert to market values at the date of death that the beneficiaries will continue on with. And now what happens when the estate passes it on to the beneficiary? What happens to the cost base and what happens in, with respect to CGT? If everything's done in accordance with the will, then it's passed to the beneficiary without triggering capital gains tax and the beneficiary... Receives re Bob's cost base. Will, yes, he'll retain that cost base and that, that history Unless it was pre-CGT, then the beneficiary would receive the market value cost base at the date of that. Yes, yes. There is a section of the Tax Act that talks about that and Division 128 gives that special situation of, you could say there it does trigger a CGT event, but Div 128 says that it's... Deferred. 
It's, it's basically deferring, deferring the yes. capital gains tax. Yes. But the other thing is, if you don't complete the administration of an estate in the same income year as the date of death, you don't have to lodge a tax return for the income year if all of the following apply. Now, again, I'm reading from this QC 23846, and that is that the deceased person died less than three years before the end of the income year. The net income of the trust estate is less than the individual tax-free threshold. The deceased estate received no income from capital gains or frank dividends. The deceased estate received no income from which tax has been withheld. The deceased did not carry on a business. No beneficiary is presently entitled to a share of the income of the trust estate. And all beneficiaries of the trust estate, as trust estate sorry, are Australian residents. So if they apply, so it is a sort of the simpler scenarios where you don't have to do a tax return. Otherwise, yes, you do have to do a, a deceased estate return. The other thing too, though, a beneficiary can be presently entitled before they receive actual payment or distribution, and that happens in a discretionary trust. How we've said at the end of June, the trustee might prepare a minute that says we're, we're distributing this income to the beneficiaries, but that's generally not the situation in a deceased estate. I was just referring to Practical Compliance Guideline PCG 2018-4, and after we've been talking about deceased estates, it's really looking at what are the liabilities of the executor, they say the legal personal representative of a deceased person. So they've, they've acted in accordance with the will, they've paid out the funds, they don't want anything to come back to bite them to say, you should have paid tax here, or and then they're in a situation, the beneficiaries have got all the funds and what happens there. These guidelines, they're more for the legal personnel representative of more smaller, less complex estates to finalise the estates without concern that the tax man might come back at them and ask for money for unpaid taxes. Now, the one thing about the guideline, doesn't deal with tax liabilities for the deceased estate. So we're really just here talking about the deceased person. So we're talking up to the final tax return the tax return up till date of death and any returns or liabilities before that. So who does the guidelines apply to? They apply to an executor that's obtained probate or letters of administration of a deceased estate, provided that in the four years before the person's death, the deceased did not carry on a business, the deceased was not assessable in a share of the net income of a discretionary trust, the deceased was not a member of self-managed super fund. So you can see it's sort of pretty restrictive. I see. So this practice guideline only applies if the deceased didn't have an SMSF. Yes, they can't be a member of an SMFS. I see. Can I just very quickly see? So this is practice PCG. What does PCG stand for? Practical, oh, practical. Compliance Guidelines. Okay. And some of these things, they're just guidance mm. from the tax office. So this, what you just listed, this just uh, sets the scope for this practical compliance guideline. Yes. If anything of what you just listed applies. So if the deceased ran a business or if the deceased had an SMSF, then this practical compliance guideline doesn't apply. Is that correct? Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's sort of nearly like hand in hand with the fact sheet we mentioned earlier that was giving simplified 
arrangements to non-complex situations of even lodging a state tax return. So it's just made it simpler for some executors to not require to lodge a tax return as long as they've met some sort of simple simple condition. So it's situations where sometimes you could get a deceased months later might get a payment, a small payment from a somewhere that forms part of the estate and it's like the amount of administration would have to go through to mm. comply with tax office requirements of just really lodging and when there's no real tax at stake. So it's probably taking that away and making it simpler. Some of these conditions for this for this guidance note as well, there's some conditions on the type of the assets held as well. The assets consist only of public company shares, death benefits super, Australian real property and cash and personal use assets. And the total market value of the assets is to be less than $5 million. Mm. Again, there's another condition as well. We've mentioned this, where none of the estate assets are intended to pass to a foreign resident tax-exempt entity or a complying super entity. So so there are those conditions that are in PCG 2018-4. When we talk about notice of amounts owing at date of death, it's got here para nine of the guidelines because an LPR stands in the shoes of the deceased person regarding deceased outstanding tax-related liabilities, the ATO considers that the LPR has notice of any amount that the deceased owed to the tax office at the date of their death. So it's the tax office is really saying, you know, you should know everything the deceased knows and has or to reasonably. And if anything comes up, you need to tell us. And if you do that and follow that process, then you're trying to ensure that nothing untoward will come back to bite you in your role as the executor. What's the main point of the PCG 2018-4? That's it's saying as long as they act in accordance with getting all the deceased affairs up to date, notifying the tax office if they find things aren't up to date, notifying if they're finding there's any additional assets that may not have been included in the deceased records that were obtained, then if all those things are done and the tax officer notified accordingly and you meet the conditions, then you've got some sort of comfort that if there was any tax liabilities that arise in the future to do with the past that you're not personally liable for them. And then look, that could be a situation where somebody might be undeclared rental income of a property. So a situation, and there is an example in the guidance that says this, so a situation where there's undeclared rental income, the executor might say, okay, that's fine. Now I can, moving forward, we can account for that. But then the tax office might say, yeah, but moving back, you should have accounted for as well. So if they don't act going backwards, they could be putting themselves in a potential situation of being personally responsible for the tax if they've paid those funds out to the beneficiary already. There are time limits for the tax office going back and amending tax return, so that's something that executors can rely on a little bit, and that's this like two-year time limits for people with not complex tax affairs, four-year time limits for people with 
more complex tax affairs. So those time limits can determine when the tax office can actually amend an assessment, but that's only if fraud or evasion isn't applicable. So if there's fraud or evasion, there's an unlimited time limit. Welcome back. I find it amazing that somebody might have millions in super joint bank accounts and main residence and still might have nothing in their estate because everything was held in joint names. In the next episode, episode 115, Michael McCarthy will talk about life and remainder interests. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>